Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences. And they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Hi, I am Janice Leibovitz and it is great to be back with you, my People of the Book, after um, a hiatus of a few weeks on a bit of a COVID break. Thankfully, not me but um, others in my home, and I'm back. It's great to be back with you. I hope you've all been keeping well and safe and that you and your loved ones have all been keeping safe. It's been a very difficult time for many in our community, I know, and I hope you've all been keeping sane. Um, as I said, great to be back on air, great to be back with you, and great to be here with my guest this morning, Sean Fox. Hi, Sean. Hi, Janice. Uh, thank you for having me. It's really great to have you here. And we're going to be chatting about, as I said, life, the universe, and everything, <laughs> and your book, Fush. Fush? 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 Fush. Fush. Yeah, I think like push, but just with an F. Push with an F. Um, and we'll, we'll chat about how that came about. And um, thank you so much for, for giving up your time this morning. It's great to have you with me. And um, I, I must realize I'm not through your book yet. I'm nearly halfway through your book. And what I, I do love about your book, and I mean uh, purely selfish and, and personal reasons, is that um, we're the same age. <laughs> and really? I know. But yes. <laughs> I, think, I think we both matriculated. I think it was 1985. Um, let's let's just give away, our, give away our age yeah. here. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you've written a book about it, so, you know, why worry? <laughs> um, and, yeah, so that immediately drew me in. And, you know, when, when I, I know and I often talk about this, the aversion that people have to reading books with, with local culture and local anything, and, and I don't understand that because I think that there's, there's an attraction to reading books that are are local you know there's there's something so wonderful about reading things that are familiar and and especially this i found reading about places and and things that were so familiar to me and at a time that was mm. you know that it really took me back and, and the I music just, the music and just you know those yeah. those raves and those varsity wow well, i didn't go to varsity yeah, but that, the, exactly. i just remember that, that <laughs> You know, it's just that, that era and, and what, what amazed me are, you are, you were and are such a driven person and you were from the time that you were, were young and at school and I just really wasn't. And it fascinates me, you know, the differences between people and, and, and I'm going to, to let, let our listeners know how, how you are described in, in the publicity for the book. And, and it says that you're difficult to pigeonhole. And I mean, I don't know what it is with us and I need to label and put people into boxes. But the description that's given here is um, that you, you were a school rugby star, soldier, provincial power lifter, renowned water polo coach, lifelong entrepreneur, dynamic teacher, beloved headmaster, gay man who came of age when South African society was a lot more close-minded than it is now. 
But I prefer the way you describe yourself. And, and yes, I did the, the unforgivable. I did skip to the end of the book, um, to, to just, you know, see how you summed it up. And in your own words, which are just beautiful, the way you describe yourself as a son, a brother, a friend, rugby player, fundraiser, Evita Bezadenhout, and we're going to get to that, um, closeted teen, college rabble rouser, powerlifter, soldier, officer, gay man, teacher, coach, husband, businessman, godfather, mentor, and headmaster. I'd been Sean, I'd been Sir, I'd been Fush. And I just think that's, that's just beautiful because that, it, it describes you in, in all your, in all your elements, all the facets of you. And I love that. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's, let's go back right to the beginning. And if you could just give a bit of background as to, who you are, who you were, where you come from, let us know how you started out. Sure. And, uh, and uh, just to the listeners, uh, I am in between sort of places at the moment, so I'm just hoping my connection is, is, is good and that uh, the, signals, the signal stays, stays strong. Yes, and I, I'm hoping that, that um, our electricity and our power grid um, plays ball with us yes. as well. So, so, so do I. Thank you. So, so Janice, I think uh, one of the things I want to touch on first is uh, where, what you started with in the beginning about uh, actually a lot of people sadly don't read, and myself included. And when I decided to write this book uh, a year ago, uh, a, a very good friend of mine, and uh, she's mentioned in the book, Rose Morris, who's an English teacher and was my deputy uh, principal at the time when I still uh, uh, a headmaster, uh, when I told her the idea, she said to me, Fox, how many books have you written? Uh, and I said, well, I mean, I mean, how many books have you read? And I said, well, I haven't read too many. Uh, <laughs> and she said, exactly. So when you write this, write it so that you will read it. And that's exactly what I did. I wrote it so that it becomes a page turner and that you don't want to put it down. And it's a good, easy read. Um, and it and, and it really is, and it really is. Good. I have to say, it flows, and it's it's a, it's a story. It's it's a story, and it's highly readable. Exactly, super. So yeah, so born and bred in Johannesburg, lived here my entire life. Have travelled the entire world, uh, literally every continent, but have always lived in Joburg. So Joburg, born and bred. Um, and would probably find it hard to live somewhere else, to be quite honest. Um, and uh, born, as I put in that chapter, I was born in uh, uh, Benoni. And as I put it there, I said, there, I've said it. It's done. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, we moved across as a family. Um, my, my mom and dad uh, had quite a big age difference, about 21 years uh, apart, um, but came from, uh, I think, a really solid family. Um my dad was in engineering uh, in Germiston at that point in time. We then he sold up and he went into the gym industry in the 70s. So bought two gyms, one in Hillbra American Health Studio and one in town in Rissig Street called City Health Studio. And um, that's quite an important point because you'll see that sort of thread will run through the book on my training and my sporting and you know, eventually getting involved in powerlifting. 
Um, and he, unfortunately, in the 70s, gyms weren't what they are today. Right. And the industry was, he was probably, he was probably a bit ahead of his time in terms of what he was trying to do. And we, we lost all the money. So we went from a, a very successful engineering business, him running a, a engineering business to literally by the late seventies, early eighties, having absolutely nothing and moving out of this mansion of a house in North Riding, uh, on 10, 11 hectares to a small apartment in Hilbra. So life changed quite drastically for us um, at that point. So on our moving up from standard three, uh, which are the grade five, um, at HH, uh, we, of course, I had a lot of friends and uh, and really was probably exposed for the first time to, to Jewish culture, which was which was which actually was was wonderful. Well, Sean, we're going to take a break. You your your sound is breaking up uh, quite a bit. We're uh, going to go to a break. Uh, I mean, my best friend at the time was Terence Bloom, and I had some somewhat in from H.A. Jack. Uh, it'd be wonderful to be in touch. Oh, okay. We'll put that out there. We're going to take a break, and we're going to continue with this thread when we are back after this break. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back live with my guest, Sean Fuchs. Sean, are you still with us? I'm still with you, and uh, I've tried to move to hopefully a better place that the connection is sounds better. better. Yes, that does sound better. Great. So before the break, we were chatting about um, the fact that you were at H.A. Jack, and I'm sure... Many of our listeners will identify with this because um, I know that back, back in the day when, um, as you say, we were at school back in those years, um, a lot of the Jewish kids were at H.A. Jack. I know a lot of my friends went there, and I'm sure they'll, they'll have many fond memories of, of being there at around the same time, which is, uh, when, when would this have been, kind of um, early 80s? 70, yeah, about 1977. Oh, so, so even earlier. 70, yeah, I'm, 778, yeah. Yeah. So, so around then. Um, so, um, you mentioned your friend, Terence Bloom. Terence, if anyone knows Terence Bloom, uh, <laughs> put the word out. <laughs> right. It'd be a nice so, way so, to connect. Yeah. So you're moving on. You were telling us about, about your family and, and, um, your, your dad and, um, closing his engineering business and moving into the gym business, which wasn't as successful as he'd hoped. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, but I'd obviously spent a lot of time in the gyms and kind of uh, had, uh, you know, my dad had started training us when we were uh, sort of our early teenagers, and it just became a very natural extension of our everyday after school, um, you know, heading to the gyms um, into high school. Um, you'll see one of the one of the chapters I talk about Alfie's blazer um, and. My dad had always wanted us to go to JP High School for boys. Yes. So moving from Hillbrow, they actually rented a house in Kensington, in Empress Street in Kensington, so that we were located in the direct area of uh, being able to be admitted into JP as students. Yes, because and because back then uh, we had zoning. Exactly. So there was zoning, and they were very strict with that. So you had to prove that you lived in that area and. That was how I actually ended up getting into 
JP and uh, got into JP in Standard 7. And I was quite clear, an interesting point on the book, and, and you, you, we'll relate to this because we are, as you say, Janice, the same age, yes. is when I was writing the book, being a, being a teacher, uh, obviously everything was in current form. So it was grade 11, grade yes. 6, grade 8. Um, and my editor, uh, Nick, uh, Nicole, she said, no, it's wrong. You need to make it appropriate for the time. So go back, and we changed it then to grade one or standard one, standard, standard yeah. five, standard seven. And funny enough, I mean, I really had to think, what was standard seven? It's the current grade nine. So I had yes. to change it like that, and we made it sort of error appropriate, which which I think actually reads quite nicely. Yes. And, and people, as you say, of our age who are reading the book will, will really reminisce and they'll, they will relate. They'll find it very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope so. So, so right now you find yourself at Jeppy, um, Boys How, which is uh, where your dad always wanted you to go. And you really found a home for yourself there. I loved it. I really loved it. And again, interesting about two weeks ago, I was on a podcast with, uh, a uh, chap by the name of um, Clive van der Bachen, who's an ex-Jeppy boy as well, was a few years behind me. Yes, he said he was he, quite a few years behind you. <laughs> yes, he did say a few years, yes. he wishes, but anyway. <laughs> and and the interesting thing was Clive reading the book uh, was quite traumatic for him because he didn't have the same experience as what I did at Jeppy. So I loved, you know, I talk about the traditions, I talk about the culture, about the smells, about everything that really makes up a school like that, which I absolutely loved. Um, and he didn't. And, and, and that was good because it allows but, but for... But what he did say, what he did say was that, that he thought that the difference was possibly that you had that sporting ability and the love for sport that was on mm. your side, whereas he was part of the drama club. Correct. And it reminded me a lot, it reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, that TV show we, we, a lot, many of us loved was Glee. You know, when, if you were in the glee class, you were really looked down on and, and it's the jocks and the, you know, and the others. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, again, an interesting point uh, is that the influences at that school were quite important to me and you'll pick that up in the book. So Gail Mervis who was my history teacher and a phenomenal teacher. She was young. She was funky. Uh, I mean, we're still very close friends to this day, and she still lives in the Kensington area. I mean, she was a massive influence on me in becoming a history teacher. Um, and, and so I had very good and very strong influences at school, like my rugby coach uh, and science teacher, David Pitcamp. Um, who eventually influenced me to go into teaching and sort of yes. I wanted to go into law, but uh, chose not to and rather went into went into teaching. Yeah, and and um, but as you say and as and as you were comparing with them with Craig is, is that is the culture that you really embraced that he that that others weren't able to. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. Of course, the big challenge comes then in my teenage years when I start understanding that actually my sexuality is not what the majority of boys at school uh, were going through. So we were all going through puberty. We were all going through the, you know, being 
uh, attracted to someone. Just my someone happened to be, you know, my best friend at the time. Yes. Um, at, at an all boys school. But the frustration being that who do you talk to? This is the 1980s. I couldn't talk to anyone. I, the, the one person uh, eventually that I sort of understood that was gay was that magnificent pianist Liberace and yes. entertainer. And he had then at that point just died of AIDS as did Rock Hudson. So you kind of thought, hang on, you know, there's something wrong with me. I can't talk to anyone about this. It was incredibly frowned on. And that's the point that you read in the beginning about coming, uh, you know, coming out of an age where, where it wasn't accepted, where, where there were huge challenges, uh, for sort of, you know, being a gay kid or being a gay person at that point in time. And I couldn't I think really also relate at to that, anyone. At that, at that time also, I think it was the only identity that, that people related to it was that flamboyance and, yeah. and, you know, it was all glitter and sparkles and, you know, you yeah. couldn't actually be normal and look normal and how, you know, there was, there was that. And, and I did have very close gay friends at the time. And also, um, most of my close male friends at the time, especially when I left school, the year that I was leaving school, um, my close friends were gay. I lost one of my closest friends to AIDS. Um, you know, a few years later. And, you know, at the time it was, you know, we had that, um, you know, those conversations where they would sit you down and say, you know, I have to tell you something, you know, I'm gay. Yeah. And I mean, we knew all along, but, but yeah. the conversation had to be had. So it was that, yeah. Your point that you made earlier on where you talk about categories and you don't like sort of being put into categories. And I love that comment and I completely agree with it. And I've said this many times, there is no category. So often people would say, um, but you look so normal. How can you be gay? Really? What is normal? How do we look normal? What's, you know, what category are you now putting me into? And the challenge again that came for me was because I was first in rugby and I was a powerlifter and I kind of um, you know, looked inverted commas, massive inverted commas, this normal. Um, when I said to people that actually I was, actually I am gay, um, that was the big shock. There wasn't a, oh, we always knew. There was always this big, you've got to be kidding. Um, and I don't know whether that was, whether that was good or bad, but anyway, yeah. it is what it is. Um, and the, in, the but, interesting uh, part, the interesting thing was that, that, you, one of your your biggest nemesis at school, who who you didn't get on with, and who um, you're actually really good friends with him today, and I think he's also gay. And, Love him um, to bits. So absolutely, yeah. John 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 Louis, my nemesis, and we, he, you know, he was first team debating, us first team rugby, and we were completely opposite. Um, yet we today are inseparable. I mean, we are, we talk to each other every week. Uh, we are really close friends. And uh, both became teachers, both became headmasters, both still have a very strong influence within education. Um, so, yeah, it, it's you're absolutely spot on. But now going back again, um, you know, back back then, um, I know kids today have no clue what it was like when we left school and for – for the guys, I mean, I'm going to skip over the, the varsity years. I mean, your your whole SRC 
I mean, you, you were just, as I said, driven. You left school, you just, you wanted to be top of everything. Wherever, whatever you did, wherever you went, your whole aim was to achieve. And yeah. what, um, I mean, I'm not going to, to question it. I, I think it's incredible. What was behind that? I mean, you, was it, uh, you didn't want to be overlooked? What do you think drove you to that? It's an interesting question, Janice. Um, I think I've always been like that. So even my mom, when she read the book, uh, and I didn't let anyone read the book, no one. No one read the book other than my uh, publisher and the editor. Um, and that was it. And when, even when my mom read it, obviously it triggered a whole lot of things for her. And she said, you're absolutely right. You've always wanted to be the best. You had to achieve. You had to try and, you know, be the top of, you know, the, the captain or the SRC president or whatever it is. And I don't, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it. For me, it's always been a very natural part of who I am. You know, whether I felt, you know, whether I wanted to get into the deep psychological issues of saying you have to always achieve because you want to make up because of who you are or whatever it is. I don't know, but I've been very comfortable doing it and I've always felt it as a very natural part of who I am. Um, and that's probably the best answer I could give you. And, and you obviously always did it in a way that most people never seemed to feel overly threatened by you. I mean, apart from, from the whole SRC Toxu issue, that, that was, that was slightly, I think they, they did feel slightly threatened. But overall, from what I could tell, you're not a threatening person at all. You're very amiable, you're, you're friendly, you're approachable, and I think you do things in a way, I mean obviously I, have, I haven't had the, the pleasure of meeting you face to face, but from what I can tell, and, and as I said, the way the book is written, it's it's readable, it's relatable, it's a story, it's and you're just highly likable. And a lot of Thank people you. might not, <laughs> not a lot of people yeah. might not like that. It's just you know, those yeah. kind of people kind of tend to irritate some people, but clearly yeah. you don't. Um yeah. and, and it's an incredible personality trait to have. Thank you. I, I think one of the things I've always been quite strong on is I've always supported the underdog. Um, and I, I remember so clearly, even if you look at the early chapters when my brother Garth and I were sent to Hainertsburg, which is a small hamlet between modern-day Polikwane and Zanin, and a beautiful area. And we were sent there for two – I was there for two years, for standard four and standard five. Uh, yes, so you just been sent a year there without your brother, actually. Yeah. Correct. That's right. And it was in a very strong Afrikaans community. So there we were, these little Engelsmanner from the city, and every single day they were running battles. That's why I titled that chapter The Anglo-Boer War. Um, <laughs> and that's what we did. We literally had to defend ourselves uh, because the English guys, we were in the minority. And fortunately – if you look at one of the photographs of the, my standard five rugby picture, I was the biggest guy by far, head and shoulders above everyone. So when it came to physically fighting 
and defending ourselves uh, managed to put up a relatively good defense and a good fight. So the English guys loved it because I was always protecting them. I was sort of the protector, but was always championing the underdog and always championing what I believed was the right cause and right through school. You know, in matric, uh, I remember clearly there was a young guy in standard eight, uh, big upon standard six, so grade eight, who was incredibly feminine and didn't obviously experience the, the, the school that I experienced and was yeah. victimized and was teased and was bullied. And when I saw this happening, I immediately, this guy was, uh, let's just call him, let's just call him Tim for whatever reason. But this guy, Tim was, I was, I was looking after him. So as a first team rugby player, as a prefect, as a very senior guy in the school, no one actually bullied him or did anything with him. And for that year, he actually had a great standard six year. Sadly, when I left and went on to varsity, things changed quite dramatically and quite seriously for him, which, which of course for me is very sad. So for me, yeah. that's always been a case. And even right through when I get into school teaching and, and ultimately as a headmaster, I speak about the fact that I, w- I wanted to ensure that the spaces that I had influence over were safe, secure places for everyone. And not everyone's going to agree with this. But they needed to know that they, regardless of how unique or special or different they felt they were as individuals, which we are, they had a space in an environment that I had an influence over. And, and that's absolutely incredible. And that's something that you carried into the work that you did in in high schools, in schools. And you've worked in... In, in some of our top schools, Redham and Crawford, and you've worked tirelessly to ensure that those are inclusive, diverse environments. Thank you. Yes, I, I, I do believe I have, and, I, and, I, and I, I really hope that I have. Well, from what I've read here, and from, I mean, from from those, I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving any spoilers here because, I mean, it is what it is. Um, your, the way you left the school, I mean, I think people were extremely upset um, to to have lost you in that position that you held at school, and your that final assembly. I mean, it's it's a very moving chapter. Um, I think for everyone involved. And I think you left a, a, a massive, a, an amazing, incredible legacy. And um, from what I know of of those schools, um, the environment that that exists there is one of amazing inclusivity. And um, my kids don't go to to those schools, but. They play sport and they, they do, um, interact with, with kids from those schools and, and they speak very highly of them. Mm-hmm. So clearly, um, a lot has been done correctly and we're going to chat about, about your work with the schools after this break. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back and um, I'm here with my guest, Sean Fox, and we're chatting about his book, Fush, which talks about his life and his experiences and also the work that he's done in schools. 
um, mainly Crawford schools, Redham schools, and we were chatting about that before the break. And, Sean, we were talking about the work that you've done to ensure that these schools and school environments are diverse and inclusive. And you've spoken about how you feel about um, championing the underdog. This was obviously something that you wanted to do when you started working in schools. Was it something that you, you went into it seeing the underdog wanting to do that from the beginning or did you, when you started out, did you go in purely as a teacher and you just kind of worked towards building up to that? I think it was always there. Again, I talk about the, the early parts and the difference between my older brother Garth and myself. Uh, with my, our two younger siblings, Zane and Zoreen, and what we would do, we, we were completely different. So I would be more the nurturing, caring, taking them shopping, looking after them, making sure they're okay, whereas Garth would be the one spraying them down with hose pipes or making them fall <laughs> through the garden in the thorns and running and sort of, you know, victimizing a little bit, uh, older brother stuff, you know. Kind of good um, cop, so, bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'd always, I'd always done that. And I think for me, that was the, one of the most important things about education and about the environment, if your environment that you're in, and even in the work, it doesn't matter where it is, your workplace, the school, whatever the environment is, if you're in an environment that's caring, nurturing, that's a safe place, I believe you will function and perform at your best because there isn't a threat, there isn't a fear that is around you. And at that point, I think human beings really function at their best. And that's a space that you want to try and create as realistically as possible. And I agree with you 100%. Um, and as much as there are school principals and educators, and I think that, that in, in most places I would like to think and I would like to believe, and um, thank goodness my children are at a school where really the people in, in positions of, of um, you know, higher education – have just gone out of their way to, to ensure that, that this is an environment where they'll thrive. They've, they've just, the work that they've done, especially at this time, I cannot commend them enough. It's just been yeah. beyond outstanding. Um, unfortunately, we often are still hearing of incidents where learners are being victimized whether it's by their peers, whether it's by teachers. And I'm, I'm not um, going to ask, you know, how this happens, why this happens. You know, people are people. Unfortunately, you can't get away from that. Mm. But how do you think, what do you think we can still do to change this? And I know this is always going to be an ongoing battle. Mm. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit back and repeat what I've, what I, what you'll often hear me say if you hear me in, in talks and interviews and that. And, and I'm going to say that the most out of 10 people that we ask this question to, and I'll ask you the same question and your listeners can think the same thing as they're listening to me speak at the moment. Think of the person that influenced you the most in your life. And in, as I'm saying that, immediately that person comes to mind and I'm probably guessing 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 times it's a teacher, and it was a teacher. And you'll remember 
that positivity, that effect that that person had on you as a child in a school environment. Primary school, high school, it doesn't matter. You'll remember the idiosyncrasies. You'll remember what they did. The actual discussions that you had. doesn't matter how old you are. Even if you're as old as you are, Janice, you'll still remember that. Hey, watch okay? it. <laughs> So, you, so, so because we're the same age, remember? Just yeah, you can say one that. One of your listeners is only age. tuned in now, and they didn't have the earlier comments. But yeah, the no, point that you, I'm, the, you're allowed to say that. <laughs> the point that I make is that that is the power, the, the influence that that teacher, that teaching has over people, and that is very, very powerful. And I always used to have this discussion with my staff when I was head or even when I was managing director of the groups and inducted the new staff. That is... Sean, we were talking about teachers and um, hopefully the fact that they were wanting the best for learners at all times. Yes, and, and you were saying that although unfortunately there are that there is sometimes that rare bad egg that does have a negative influence. Generally, teachers are in it to do good and to build their learners up. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, I still maintain, I mean, you, you, you don't go to... You don't go into becoming a teacher to, to break people down and destroy lives. And often what's quite interesting is so you meet someone who I will bump into a student, a past student, or that I haven't seen since school or whatever, and I'll go, oh, you didn't like me. for the, I'm like, really? <laughs> I have not ever disliked a student in my entire life. Maybe sometimes parents, uh, but <laughs> students, students never. I mean, I, you, you, you don't dislike your students, you know, but it's often their perception of, you know, you shouted at me or you did this or you didn't let me do this or whatever, or so and so didn't like me. And that's not the case. And, and I mean, that, that, that's really, I think, uh, is quite an important point to make. I think, I think it's just, as you say, their perception and, and the perception of, of being, a learner, and I really I can't stand that term, but I know it's the one that is, is yeah. commonly used and accepted today. It's, it's the perception of being the learner and the teacher being the authority figure. And I know that um, today the, the relationship between teacher and learner is quite different from, from when we were at school all those years ago, Sean, all those years ago. Yes, um, I remember. <laughs> um, um, we, we did look at our teachers as being much more in authority as in relation to the way, I mean, I see the way my, my kids relate to their teachers and I'm quite envious because the relationships they have are a lot more amicable, I think, than the ones that we tended to have with our teachers back then. I think they, they relate, the teachers today seem to relate a lot better to to the kids that they're teaching than, than yeah. possibly our teachers related to us. I think it is a more caring environment. Yes. It's far more caring, far more nurturing. You know, we kind of got given stuff and got told to get on with it and deal yes. with it. I, I, I still think there's merit in some of that because I don't think we need to go to the other extreme. Um, but uh, it, it certainly is a very different environment and the relationship that teachers and students uh, have, and I use the word students. I, I, I don't. I really don't like the word learner. No, um, me neither. As well, and and but the relationship that um, students and teachers have is very different uh, nowadays. Absolutely. 
Yes. And I do think, though, that, that um, even with that relationship being so different, I, th- I think that the, the boundaries are still maintained really well. And uh, and unfortunately, we have to wrap this up. So um, I really just want to thank you. It's been a fabulous conversation. It's been a fabulous chat. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And as I say, I think the fact that, you know, we we had that, <laughs> not to relate to the age, and you know, again, <laughs> but, but having that in common just does make a difference. Um, one quick, quick question that I ask all the people that I interview, and I know you said you don't read, but if you're stuck on a desert island and you had to have one book with you, I'll cut it down to one, what book would that be? Okay, so excluding my book, right? Of course. <laughs> um, probably Travels with Winston, written by Winston Churchill's niece. I love that. I definitely would, uh, that would be my choice. But that's because I'm a history teacher as well. My late dad was also a history teacher, actually, so fully understand. (laughs) Janice, we've got way too much in common. So (laughs) I'll see you just now for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Socially distanced lunch. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Sean, I really do hope we get to meet face to face one day in the near future. Thank Thank you you. so much for being an awesome guest. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you to the listeners for listening. And uh, I really hope they enjoy reading the book. Yes. And remember, the book is Fush. That's Fush with a F. So you can um, go out and get that. That is available. And thank you so much. It's been great being back. And stay warm, stay safe, and stay reading. Until next week.